This podcast is brought to you by StoreMaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at StoreMaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. Because this business is so scalable and strong knowledge and dedication gives so high leverage, it really starts from the strong team. Yeah? Whatever, whoever has the strong team, that will have way, way higher chance of success, which means that in the gaming business, it makes sense to you know, hire uh, really one good person instead of three that are average. And then we see the actual outcome in terms of the business results. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by Stormaven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Mobile Growth and Pancakes. I'm your host, Jonathan Fishman, and I'm really excited today to have here with me Mariusz Gashivsky. He's mobile gaming lead for Central and Eastern Europe at Google. So I have a lot of questions and I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic episode. How are you, Marsh? Hello. Thank you. Really amazing. I'm really, actually really great to be here and actually share some thoughts about the industry with you. Awesome. So can you tell us a bit about uh, yourself and uh, how you got to where you are today? Yes. So at Google, actually, you know, on one side, I work with uh, mobile gaming and apps companies in the region. On one side, with those ones that have the more like ambition to really, you know, scale themselves in the whole world. And then on the other side, I'm kind of, you know, trying to, to help the ecosystem in the, in the region by connecting uh, the, the companies with investors, by sharing more knowledge on the market, or sometimes just engaging more industry to, to share the more knowledge inside the industry. Awesome. And I'm sure that you have a ton of perspective about uh, mobile game businesses in Europe and in general, mostly on the Android side. But I, I really want to get your perspective on three main things today. So the first one is any kind of insights you have on which game genres or countries are on the rise right now. There's kind of like the state of the mobile gaming uh, market uh, these days, even specifically on the Android side, because uh, there's a lot of data coming in from folks like Sensor Tower and App Annie about the fact that mobile game spending is down. I have my thoughts about this, but I want to touch that point. Second, your thoughts about uh, where privacy is going to with Android and the privacy sandbox. And we will talk about this in kind of a high level because we don't have a ton of time. And third, in this new world that we're headed to, what do you think are the factors to success for a game business and which companies are more likely to succeed than others and, and why? So let's start with the state of the market. What do you think about this data that is coming in here and there about the fact the market is kind of slow for mobile games and how do you see things there? I think like it has, if we look at the market, the mobile games, it has a few different perspectives and a few different points. You know, the first one is like, you know, if we look at the, at the business, it always was the business of, you know, high win, high risk. So if you win the market because it's very scalable, then you actually, you know, you get amazing success, but it's actually there are like a lot of companies that actually want to get that success. The second point is, of course, like if we look at the data, even based on AppAni, 
if we compare the first four months of this year versus the first four months of the last year, we see even a little bit of negative growth, which is actually coming from, I think it was minus 8% year over year for Bison App Ani. But it's on one side, it's coming from the fact that uh, two previous years created pretty nice base because of the COVID, because of all moves inside the industry. And then, of course, there is the topic related even to the revenue measure. Yeah? So, for example, like, you know, the, the ad revenue part that is like very strong and is actually in many cases even growing faster than in-app revenue, especially in emerging markets. It's, there are not many ways actually where you, where you can actually measure it. So there are not many tools where actually you can really look you know, how it's really growing. So in this case, in many cases, it's, not really, it's kind of a little bit overlooked as well. And then, of course, there is a lot of you know, concentration happening on the market as well yeah, because of the growth, because of the, on one side, capital and, uh, and knowledge that you need actually to, to run successful uh, growth activities, create specific entry barrier, which is not easy to, to go over for like you know, entry players. So that, of course, it creates another point for impression and uh, feeling that, okay, it's, it's extremely hard, especially for someone who is starting that part. Yeah? But still, if we look at the market, so for example, like, you know, I just look at the AppAni and uh, it was interesting to see that if I look at the in-app revenue in US, if I look at top thousand grossing, like, you know, 30% of that, uh, of actually games were older than five years. So that actually shows that it's actually, you know, it's, it's harder and harder actually to enter that, that market. But on the other side, you have still a lot of successes, a lot of companies that actually, you know, started not long time ago and they got amazing success. And we see that, of course, like not still, it's the time when the casual genres are actually growing really nicely, like, you know, uh, casual games, you know, simulation games are doing really well. Board games are actually getting more and more popular. And I think they used to be really, you know, ad monetized, but more and more companies are trying to get some in-app from high value users. So actually, we see that even in those gaming genres, there is a lot of learnings that uh, developers coming from those really, you know, casual and, and light, let's call it, uh, genres. They're moving actually learnings from, you know, core and, and mid-core games to actually, again, increase the monetization. And of course, if we look at the markets, the last months weren't really best for tier one markets. So for example, like, you know, if we look at those four months, US was actually growing below the average if we look at the revenue which is actually exactly coming from the fact that you know, 2021 and 2020 was extremely successful for US as the market. And then again, there was specific saturation on those markets coming from growth cost and the entry barrier that is actually again coming to those markets. And the other side, if we look at markets like, you know, like Turkey, Malaysia, Saudi Arabia, even markets like you know, Poland, uh, Brazil, they are actually growing much faster than average. And of course, again, they are not always easy market to enter because of localization, because of all those challenges related to that still in those markets, usually pretty high share of the revenue is delivered by a pretty small percentage of the users. So you need to kind of you know, find them in the right moment and then adjust the content. But still, again, uh, I think like you know, from the perspective of new developer or someone who haven't started a really long time ago, it's not always the best idea to really focus on you know, the biggest share of the, the pie. Like, okay, let's focus on US or like you know, the fastest growing genre, because again, usually the, the best parts of the industry are actually the most competitive as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think that the concert, I agree with you on a lot of these points. Uh, I think that the consolidation that is happening, and unless you've been living under a stone, you've saw the news. It's been happening for a couple of years now, this very, very intense consolidation trend in the mobile game uh, industry. I think that all of this consolidation basically, it's basically a result of the fact that it's it just pretty hard to create a, a really good mobile game business. Uh, it's hard to create a good game. And there's a lot of risk, as you said. There's like, it's a very high risk, high reward type of venture. So a lot of them are actually turning to acquire existing games and de-risk themselves. And it's really hard to scale a game. And there's a lot of economies of scale there in terms of their user acquisition capabilities, both on the data and analytics side. Basically, their entire publishing capabilities are already developed. So they have a system they can plug in really good games to and grow all of these mega game businesses. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of developers, uh, they want to be successful, not just in one genre, but to, you know, a little bit, uh, I would say, balance that is a little bit uh, more in the way that, okay, I would like to be really present in a few genres. And again, in those cases, it's usually not easy to create just another game in that different genre. It's in many cases, it's exactly, it's a little bit easier to buy the game or like even buy the studio and then as the group be relevant for a few strong and uh, interesting gaming genres. Yeah. And I think on the positive side, and actually think about success even in Europe. And you mentioned Turkey, which is, it's kind of unbelievable what's happening in Turkey. Like I remember, I don't know, five years ago, it was unheard of. It's going to be an amazing game industry in Turkey. And now there's so much great talent and great game studios in Turkey. And the Turkish market itself as a game market is like growing very fast. So we can see there examples such as uh, Dream Games, who, who created Royal Match. So that's exactly exactly that. You have folks that are coming in with a lot of background and expertise in creating a fantastic Match 3 game. I'm addicted to it. I'm at level, I don't know, 1,000 already. And they became one of the biggest advertisers on the store, coming in head-to-head with folks like King and other folks that uh, dominate the Match 3 category for for a decade almost. It is possible for a newcomer to do this, but uh, you need to come in from with good expertise. So that's encouraging. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly the point. Yeah, so I, I think like, again, there are not many industries where you can leverage that potential so heavily. Yeah? So, so in the way that, you know, if you get the success, that success can be extremely, really, really amazing. And always in every market, usually every Big success is really inspiring new founders and new people who are thinking, okay, actually, maybe I can actually try to do the same or like at least kind of, you know, similar. So always such successes are really, really good for the market because actually they are really inspiring the, the people, talented people in the market. And actually they're showing that that reward, even if it's you know, high risk and uh, high reward, if you see that reward, then it's a little bit easier to imagine yourself on that chair as well. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's let's move on to the second point because I want to make sure that we have time to talk about it, which is privacy. So, so much has been happening with uh, privacy and the impact for game marketers has been huge with iOS 14.5 and everything that happened on, on the Apple and iOS side, which created a lot of mayhem and chaos for some time. So it started with iOS 14.5 and deprecating the IDFA without providing a ton of solutions and sending the industry to basically figure it out. And that created uh, a lot of damage in terms of targeting. So a lot of game businesses were used to basically have a channel such as Facebook and others where they can acquire high quality users without worrying too much about targeting because it was based on 
Facebook and all the other social networks, social graph and user graph that basically collected a lot of user level data about their in-game behavior from about every game that they ever downloaded or played. And they took that away. So it became pretty hard to acquire high quality users in the same way. And that actually sent a lot of spend and a lot of companies to focus for some time on the Android side. And then we didn't hear anything from Google for about a year. But when we did, the market, and the industry, the community basically received it very well, I think, because the main message was we are not going to do something irresponsible that's going to send also the Android ecosystem into chaos. We know that I'm now talking specifically about mobile games, but it's for any app business. We know that mobile game businesses need a feasible way to grow. They need a way to grow their audience, to grow their user base, and they need to rely on advertising to do that. And we we want to maintain that. We do want to create a more private ecosystem and a more private world, but we want to do it in a responsible way that allow these businesses to also advertise and thrive. And to do that, they need basically two things. They need targeting. They need the ability to measure without compromising user-level data. So first of all, my question is like, why do you think, and of course, everything here that we're talking about is at a high level, why do you think Google is taking this approach as opposed to what Apple did? Because basically they said that it's going to take about two years until it's going to be enforced and they're going to involve the community in it. But uh, it's a very different approach. It's like, we're going to protect the advertising ecosystem. And only after we manage to tick that box, we'll protect privacy or something in those lines. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, there are a few points, yes. So in this case, as you exactly mentioned, like the main idea behind the Google Rules approach is actually to, to co- combine three points. The first one is that, okay, as the Google, we want to kind of, you know, de- develop those to really keep this uh, user information private. So really develop the approach that really actually is really taking seriously the user's privacy and their growing expectations, yeah, because we know that actually the user's expectations in towards privacy are actually growing. So that's why it should be done very, very, very seriously. The second point, which is extremely important, is that the Google really wants to enable both publishers and developers to really keep the online content for free. So always this, you know, actually free, free content was in the Google's DNA and the, both the developers and publishers they need to really have the way to really actually still make some business and because that business actually will make them giving that access to the content for free because that's actually what users want. Yeah. So, and then of course, the third point is actually the whole project is actually invitation uh, given to the industry to actually collaborate on this final, final solution. Yeah. So that's why it wasn't really announcement of the final solution. It was announcement about high level approach. And if you go to this private sandbox on Android website, where you can actually have quite detailed uh, explanation, at least on the high level, this approach, there is actually the place where the whole industry can actually add the feedback, share what actually someone is thinking about that thing. And then the final solution that will probably will take around two years to develop will actually include that feedback to the industry, making sure that on one side, we have that solution that is actually corresponding to the user's expectation on privacy. On the other hand, it's really looking at the business model of publishers and developers. And the third point is actually really something that is seen by the industry as fair and really actually working as the standard. And the last point is that actually a lot of those things that we are discussing and actually, you know, sharing for Android were actually tested already in some way on the web part of Google properties, because some of those solutions were actually their life almost two years being uh, more on the website. 
Yeah. And I think, I mean, I love that. I think that, first of all, Google has a lot more experience than Apple in working with advertisers. I mean, that's, uh, they're way longer in that business. And I think it shows because it's basically, I'll just go over real quickly over the proposals in the private sandbox. So in regard to targeting, it's basically saying, we're going to provide you tools to targeting high quality users. We're going to do this with something that's called topics. It's basically allowing you to target users based on interest without sacrificing user level data, without allowing you to basically, yeah. Yeah, because that's what's important in that approach. The old user data is still staying on the user device, yeah. So it's not really shared with. Yeah, it, it never leaves the device. It's it's a, lo- exactly. a lot of it is based on on device uh, computation, which is great. And also, one of the things that iOS fourteen point five uh, broke pretty dramatically was retargeting. So another approach that is uh, called Fledge for to allow you to retarget users again without sacrificing that user level data and and maintaining privacy for users. Something around measurement, uh, the attribution reporting API proposal, which is amazing. There's so much details there on the website. If you want to go to Privacy Sandbox on Android uh, website, just Google it, which basically is a way more developed version of SK Ad Network that allows you to actually measure in a pretty good way and in an aggregated and privacy-first way the performance of your campaigns. And lastly, and that's on... uh, that's on actually the user privacy side. In a really good way, this proposal called the SDK runtime. So it's a really good way to enforce all the bad practices from kind of players doing fingerprinting and things that aren't allowed. So Google has a really good proposal for that. It's called the SDK runtime, basically making sure that all the SDKs that perform that uh, this practice of fingerprinting are operating in their own runtime environment so they can't access device parameters without uh, receiving permission from the app itself that they're installed within. These are really good proposals that I think would make life very different for gay marketers on Android. Once they're actually deployed, we we need to see the final final version of these proposals, of course, but it's not going to be the same in my view as what gay marketers experienced when uh, iOS 14.5 came out. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the initial response from the industry, I think it's really good. And uh, even at this point, there are a lot of details on this privacy sandbox on Android website. And of course, all that content all approach will be developed, but still there's quite a lot of time on that. But actually, on that side, I really encourage everyone who haven't visited that website yet really to, to, to visit it and you know, start to go deeper into the topic and even thinking you know, how to actually understand it better and actually how to even grow my approach towards like first party data as well. Yeah, because of course, on one side, you know, uh, there is a lot of stuff you can do around understanding your data on the higher level, thinking about third party approach. But on the other side, you can, of course, like, grow your approach towards understanding your users uh, based on the data they are giving, based on looking at your relationship that you have with them and uh, what actually kind of data they can share just with you because because you have that relationship. And then what you can know about those users more than, than other players. That's gold right there. And there's so much you can do with uh, learning from that first party uh, data, but that's gold. Lastly, before we move to the, my third point, just want to talk a bit about the entire legal environment that is changing. We won't go into the nuts and bolts of the legal proposals and everything, but for those of you who don't know, Europe is making a ton of progress in actually proposing, and it seems like they're adopting some of these uh, laws or pieces of regulation, 
such as the Digital Markets Act, and, and there's a few other proposals. It even gets the attention of U.S. officials. I mean, I even heard Obama in a, in a video talking about the fact that the U.S. is behind and they need to start having these conversations. But basically, all these, um, what's common or like the common thread that goes through all of these pieces of, of regulation is to open up marketplaces, to stop very monopolistic behaviors, I would say. On one hand, that basically... It means that there's a gatekeeper in for some markets and it's one company and they can do whatever they want. Apple is a bit more centralized in, in that approach. And basically it has two sides to it. And I know that you can't comment like uh, specifically for, about Google's view and, and all of that, but basically there's two sides of it. One of them is around payment systems and allowing different payment systems. That's one side of it. Uh, so you don't have to go through Apple or Google on the payment side. Google is testing. It's been uh, published with Spotify. They're running a pilot of allowing third-party payment systems, which is great. The more interesting side is that although on the Android side, you can sideload apps for a lot of time, and that has you know, created a thriving market in places like China, on Apple devices, you can. So one of these proposals is to actually allow for sideloading on iOS devices. So the question that going, I know that you can comment on some of these things, but I just really want to try to imagine the future here and to ask you, do you imagine that in Western markets, in Europe, the US, all of that, we're going to see an environment is, that is more similar to China, where when you, you as a game business approach distribution, you have dozens and dozens of options, dozens of marketplaces, dozens of app stores. It's uh, the, the market there is very fragmented. So, do you think we're going to see the same thing in, in Western markets? So, of course, it's quite you know complex topic yeah, because on one side, Google is always fulfilling only any law regulations that exist in any market. Yeah, so so like you know whatever kind of you know law exists, uh, uh, whatever kind of law will be you know created anywhere in the European Union, Google you know will fulfill the obligations coming from from that. On the other side, if you look at those, you know, stores, it's kind of even bigger topic because, for example, right now there is, there is a lot of discussion around Web3, around crypto. Yes, yeah? so so not just like you know paying with with US, uh, sorry, paying just with currency, with many other ways. Yeah, so you know that that access to, to the games and apps is not just you know the topic, you know, where those apps and games will be, but you know how you will be paying for them and how you will be engaging with the content. Yeah, so if you're asking me. Like if I can imagine, of course, like everything is possible and like a lot of, again, will depend on those uh, regulations. A lot of will depend on, you know, how those uh, Web3 communities will grow or how they actually will develop. Because in that approach, of course, the mission of the store will be a bit different, I would say. But even actually in China, there is like, you know, there is quite uh, many stores, uh, but still, there are some that in general are more popular among higher share of the users. Yes. Yeah? So, so of course it's, uh, you can imagine that in general, that competition that is getting harder. And, that, and of course, like, you know, depending on this regulation, depending on the user's favors, the feature can be way different. Even today you, you have some like third party stores existing uh, in the world. So, I mean, hard for me to comment, you know, what will be the future of like you know, Apple Store like or Play Store? Because like you know, the at the end of the day, users will kind of vote with their money and with their uh, 
like you know fingers yeah like you know going to the specific point when they see the value and then downloading games and apps from the Plex. Yeah? and of course at this point like you know play is doing everything it can to really deliver the best user experience the best the most secure environment for the users yeah and even a lot of changes that were that are actually you know testing sort and tested on the play like you know allowing uh, lower value payments yeah so so that someone will uh, can pay something for very 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 small amount of money not just for like you know two dollars or three dollars the topics that are very very important for example for emerging markets yeah the test that you mentioned with spotify yeah or like what is the best way for the users to get information about new type of content on the store yeah so i would say a lot of things are actually being tested uh, right now and we can say for sure that uh, probably that reality in like in a few years will be way way different than today yeah for sure and, and for game marketers and people in the business of games in mobile games I just think like focusing on the principles of marketing and you know understanding who your yours yeah go ahead even I think even the topic that is that is in some way but I would say not exactly connected to that but I think strongly correlated which is like you know plus platform approach for example yeah mm-hmm, so, so sure. I think that like more and more actually companies are actually you know saying that actually you know we you want to develop the games that will actually work on any other platform not just on one yeah and then actually on the Google site we, we see that you interest as well yeah so that's why even again those stores in the futures for sure will be look like in uh, so we'll be looking like totally differently than, than now yeah it's exactly the, the point I was saying is that as a marketer you need to focus on the principles of marketing to grow your game business you need to understand who your users are where your good user segments what differentiates them how you can acquire them where they spend time how you can find them how you can uh, scale your game basically and In the future, I truly believe it's going to be more open and the way that folks would discover new content and new games and where they're going to play it is going to be very, very, um, I don't want to say fragmented, but there's going to be a lot of options. And what you just mentioned with uh, just uh, cross-platform, we can see the same thing because another test that is happening, I think it's in beta, is uh, Google Play Games on PC. So there's like a beta that allows folks to uh, play uh, mobile games Or games that were designed for mobile it's it's like the word mobile here is, is it doesn't make a lot of sense to play uh, for example candy crush on uh, a PC by installing a Google Play uh, store on your PC and you can basically and then what it means to be a marketer of a mobile game like you have users coming in from PC that maybe they don't even have the app on, on mobile but the more exciting things is some of their sessions are happening on mobile some of their sessioning are happening on the PC when they're taking a break from work or or so on so you I think that's a really exciting future, but if you focus on the principles of marketing and growing your game business, it would always hold true no matter where you distribute your games. Exactly, yes. So that's, I would say the same things will matter as, as now. We are trying to understand the needs of your user and then how actually you can really deliver that specific promise that made them actually come to you. And then actually, you know, the, whoever is the best in that, whoever actually is choosing the right game and the right battle, Because of course, like the whole gaming is not just about going to all battles, but choosing that one that you know that you can win. So that's why actually we, we were talking even about those genres, about those countries. So it's not always about doing the game for everyone, but focusing on the specific audience that is on one side big enough for your business to survive. But on the other side, not necessarily the most competitive and taken, for example, by the biggest ones. Yeah. For sure. 
So we have a few minutes left. I do want to ask you on the third point, which is like factor of success and which companies do you think are more likely to succeed as a game business in this environment in the next three years and which are less likely? So can you give us like a few uh, points about that? So I think, of course, it's again, it's broad topic, but something that we see really well is actually that's and that's actually why there is even this you know hiring market became so competitive is that because this business is so scalable and strong knowledge and dedication gives so high leverage it really starts from the strong team yeah whatever whoever has the strong team that will have way way higher chance of success which means that in the gaming business it makes sense to you know hire uh, really one good person instead of three that are average and then we see the actual outcome in terms of the business results. And that's actually how I think, uh, especially like you know, new players and new teams should really start. How actually can really create not really big, but small team that can actually survive for longer. And but the people who really know what they are doing and are really dedicated to do it. Yeah? So I think that's a really important point. Then the second one is you need to decide, I would say very early in your journey, what is your approach towards business aspects of gaming? Do you want to just create the games and then focus on that? And then for the business parts, look for the right partner, look for the right publisher, maybe look for the right freelancer that will do it for you. Or you want to develop like, you know, full gaming company, which means that all those topics that create really high uh, entry barrier, like analytics, creation of BI, creation of CRM, all those sometimes quite sophisticated topics, you need to do it from as early as possible if you want to really kind of, you know, go in that direction, yeah? And of course, it can be starting from doing a nice BI based on the, you know, Firebase and data sent to the BigQuery or like, you know, similar solutions. But again, there is high win and high reward, but there is actually this challenge related that to the fact that you are really actually, you know, going. Uh, kind of, you know, to the battle with really, you know, strong companies that actually are present in this market for many years uh, already. Yeah. And then the third point is really, you need to use those insights about the users as good as possible, yeah? Starting from the point that we mentioned, okay, choosing the right market, choosing the right genre that you really understand, and then how actually you can grow understanding of those users, how actually I can really improve in retention, how I can really improve the monetization, and then combining those points I can improve monetization. And then once I'm there, then it's way easier even to think about uh, doing growth and developing the, the really successful business. Yes, yeah? so actually it's fast business, which means it's the business for the people who want to be fast and mm-hmm. uh, really want to be fast in doing the things happen and sort of making it happen. And I would say growing that probability of, of success every next day. It's kind of rather marathon than sprint at the end of the day. For sure. And I really like your point about the fact that somebody that is building a game or a team that's building a game really needs to make that decision early on because it's two different things. Like to create a good game or a great game is just a completely different uh, rodeo than building the publishing technology that you need to compete with the large, I don't know, it's like players that are worth tens of billions of dollars in the market that are investing a lot into publishing technology and having these capabilities to distribute and uh, scale these games. So scaling the game 
It's just a different rodeo. These days, it's extremely complex like to build that side of the business. So that's a decision that needs to be done early on. But luckily, folks have a lot of options. They have a lot of options they can start with. As you mentioned, Firebase, there, these uh, entry points exist basically across the stack of the publishing technology. And at some point, of course, publishing, like finding a publishing partner is an option. So there's a lot of options, but it's so crucial to make that decision. And because a lot of teams that I saw that tried to actually build these, the technology and the st- that publishing stack too early on, it took away so much of their uh, focus that they actually hurt their own game, which is the important thing. Yeah, exactly. And then that's, you know, even the this COVID that you showed that, you know, in many ways, uh, you know, working in the games, you can actually work from anywhere. So really, you don't need to be in the office. You don't need to be in the in, in specific country. That's really, I think, big advantage that you can choose actually to grow your business, even hiring the people from other markets, hiring the people from very distant actually places. Uh, but on the other side, that actually grows this competitive bar as well. Yeah. So again, you need to think about what is your like, how much you are actually averse to the risk. Because again, in this case, it's kind of a lot of those activities depend on how actually far you want to go risking a specific activity. Because let's see, even if we look at some budgets like 100K, it can be a lot to develop the game, but not necessarily it will be a lot to grow the game to kind of, you know, strong success. Yes. Yeah? So, so, so again, at the end of the day, it's like you know, whoever makes it thinking from the beginning, looking at the right time horizon and thinking about topics like cash flow, like what is my team? what they want to create, do they want to be really successful, but then they understand that actually it comes with higher risk, or maybe they just want to be you know, part of pretty small, but still successful gaming company, but the company that rather will not likely be, will be repeating the success of Dream Games as the example. Yeah, so, for sure. so that's, I think, is the, really the important point for those you know, business decisions. Awesome. Thank you. That's been a fantastic conversation. We are running out of time, so I'm going to skip a few of uh, the regular questions we ask uh, guests and I'll move straight to the meat, or should I say the pancake, and ask you, what is your favorite uh, flavor of pancake? It doesn't have to be a pancake, by the way. You can Something that is similar to a pancake also works. <laughs> Actually, I love vanilla, I would say. Yeah, I really like you know, vanilla ice cream, uh, vanilla pancakes. Actually, I would say probably I would, I would vote for that one. Awesome. That's good. And lastly, where can people find you? If they, there's, We talked about so many things and I'm sure that uh, folks have questions or want to uh, work with Google and so on. Where can folks reach out to? Sure. So at first, I really encourage you to visit the website www.gamecam.io. Actually, if you are like growing your mobile gaming business, you will find a lot of really good sessions there, like you no know, recordings done with the really successful founders and successful gaming companies. So that's really, I think, one good source. And then, like, you know, really, you know, encourage you to catch up with me on the LinkedIn. You can, you know, uh, happy to connect with the people. So please reach out to me. Happy to exchange the experience and knowledge. So just go to the LinkedIn, Marusz Gosiewski, and happy to connect with you. Great. And we'll include those links in the episode uh, description so you can find them there. Uh, And that's it. I think it was a fantastic conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. I could continue for another hour or so, but we do have to finish. And I would just want to thank you. It's been a pleasure. And really, thank you for that. Yeah, and, and we'll speak soon. Thank you for the invitation. Awesome. Have a good day. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. 
find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve app store performance, visit StoreMaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at StoreMaven, thanks for listening.